hard to follow. Uh, there are days where I think uh, maybe <laughs> actually Asher just asked me, is this going to be a short sermon? <laughs> uh, maybe I should go that route. Uh, thank you, ladies. Uh, that was beautiful. <clears throat> um, I feel I owe you an update from last Sunday. An important thing happened, and when we uh, have wins uh, in life, we should celebrate them. Uh, if you recall, there was a bird that flew into the window last Sunday. Um, I am happy to announce to you, Mike Michelli ran out uh, to rescue this bird, took some pictures of it, and we can both report that it is alive and well. Uh, God is good all the time. Uh, so we're, we're entering into a new series. We are indeed in the first Sunday of Advent. Um, I, uh, I, I share best heart with the love of uh, like the liturgical calendar or the church calendar uh, where we, uh, we prepare ourselves for what's to come. So uh, I've said it a few times, but actually in my, um, my growing up, uh, we often did not celebrate things like Advent or, or Lent. And um, as I... I grew up, I I realized what I like about them is that we really do prepare ourselves for the big day so that Christmas doesn't just arrive and then we say, oh yeah, that's right, Jesus uh, is coming uh, and we're supposed to be celebrating Jesus' birth. Or with Easter, same thing, you know, Easter doesn't just arrive one day and you're like, oh yeah, that's right, today's Easter. Um, So this gives us a good four weeks of, of of leg room to, to kind of warm up to, to, to this season that we're in uh, and to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. So this year, <clears throat> I thought I'd get creative, and uh, my, my goal is, is, um, is this, uh, is to um, do a series called Among Us, or um, The Word Became Flesh uh, and Dwelt Among Us. Uh, if the youth are snickering right now, I'd... I don't know why. Uh, maybe you should ask them later. Uh, they, the, so uh, the series is, uh, is built on a simple premise. When Jesus arrives, uh, we have an invisible God. We, we have and still do. But Jesus makes God enfleshed. And so if we want to know what God's character is like, the first and best place we should look to is Jesus himself. And so the word, Christ, becomes flesh, puts on this flesh and, and dwells among it, lives among us. If we want to know who God is, well, then we better study who Jesus is. And so over the coming four weeks, uh, we're choosing uh, four different themes about who Jesus is to tell us a little bit about who God is, and then about how we should walk through this world. Uh, And so today we're talking about life-giving. We'll get to the scripture momentarily, but but there are, there's actually two scriptures that run their way through all four weeks that are coming up. And, and the first is, is one we read this morning. It's John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and this is, as I've already said, the incarnate word. It's God coming in the flesh. But this didn't just happen 2,000 years ago, and then it happened back there, and then we just like read about it. Matthew 28.20 20, assures us, these are Jesus' final words, Behold, I am with you 
always, he says. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so it's not just that Jesus was enfleshed 2,000 years ago. He makes this promise to us that he will be with us always. And so these two things we hold together during this season. Uh, Let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, uh, we ask for your presence in this place. Uh, Lord, I pray that, um, that your word be proclaimed, that you give us a clear vision of who you are, of how your heart beats, of the life that you are ready to pour out on this world, and how we can participate in that. Lord, uh, all of this we lift to you and ask that it be glorifying to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So to begin, before we jump into the scripture, uh, there is this theme of life and death that run through all of scripture. And it starts right at the beginning. Uh, Of course, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So it begins with this infusion of life It begins with, in the garden, God creates humanity, right? He creates Adam and Eve, and he breathes the breath of of life into them. And then the first opening scenes, there's two trees, right? There's a tree of life, and there's a tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And God says, whatever you do, don't eat that one, because what happens if you do? You die, Right? This is what he says. And so there's this death life uh, option that is sitting before Adam and Eve right up front. And we all know how that ends. And they choose death, right? They choose that tree that they shouldn't have chosen. And then the next thing that happens is we realize that life and death are a little more complex than merely being alive or being dead, that there is a spiritual life that they lose when they are kicked out of the garden. And and they're no longer in God's presence, right? And they they no longer get to participate with God and walk with God in the cool of the day. Then there's the physical death that does happen, but even the the toil of this earth, it it has a way of of shrinking Adam and Eve and and their progeny. Um, And then... There's this death of sin that begins to creep into the hearts of humanity. And while we might not see it precisely in Adam and Eve, we definitely see it in Cain as he murders his brother Abel. And we begin to see that this choice between life and death is, well, it's, it should be nuanced, right? That it means a few things in different places. And fast forwarding, if we get to uh, the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 30, uh, Moses has just given uh, Israel the law, and he has set this before them, and then he says, uh, I'm setting before you this day two things, right? Two paths that you can choose, and the one is the path of life, and the one is the path of death, and the path of life is to do what? It's to follow God, and, and these commands, and the word, and the, and the law that he has set before you, and then the path of death is, is this other side, and he's, he's imploring them, choose life, right? God wants this from you. God wants to, to lead you down this, this path of life. Or then fast forwarding again to like the Psalms and the Proverbs, there's, there's again this, the, these two ways, this is, scholars call it 
two ways theology. And, and the two ways are simple, the two paths in life, right? There's death and there's life. And this is how Psalm 1 opens. There's the righteous and they, they, they live to death and, or to life. And then there's the unrighteous and, and, and their way leads to tragedy. And the Proverbs fill this all out as well. Life and death appear as themes running throughout these books. But we're in the season of Advent, and so we should turn to the person of Jesus, because it turns out that Jesus has quite a lot to show us about this theme of life. And so when we get to our passage for today, John chapter 1, 1 through 5, and verse 14, we see Jesus is right there at the beginning, right? And so it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. We've heard this many times, right? In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. I mean, John is setting us up for a, a riddle, right? Wait, is, is the word with God, or is the word God? And John says, well, it's both of these right? And then if you don't know, he's begging the question, well, what's the word, right? What does this mean? And he goes on, he says, all things get made through this word. And perhaps here you might think back in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he does it how he, he speaks. And there are words that are spoken, and when those words get spoken, things come into being. Life happens, and he goes on, so all things are made through the word. And, and without the word, not anything gets made that is made. And this is John making very clear to us that anything we've ever seen in this life, tasted, touched, smelled, any experience is because the word has made this. And that all of life is, is authored by one author, and he continues, and he says, in him was life, right? And here we get it. In the word, or, or in God, and we'll find out in Christ, is life. Like he has the power of life within him, the power to, to give it and to uh, enliven whatever he touches, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And here again, we, we get drawn back into that garden, and we think about uh, God breathing that breath of life and giving the light to humanity in this way. And the light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what I want to do in this series is to take what is a more traditional uh, scripture for the Advent season, something that is indeed connected to Jesus' birth, and then I want to, I want to pair it with uh, a scripture of something that happens later in Jesus' life to show what this looks like 
to, to show you, like, oh, this is what it means to be the author of life as he walks through this world. And so the passage I've chosen for today comes to us from Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and, and open up to Luke 7. Uh, this is a story that, well, it follows a healing story. So Jesus has already healed a man. And even just doing that, what we see is, is Jesus taking his, his life authorship and, and giving it to this servant. But then, then we see it in a, an even more clear way. And so Luke 7, starting in verse 11, begins this way. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. There's a man who had died, and he's being carried out. And the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Now, before I, I mean, we kind of all know how this is going to end here, but before we keep going, it's important that you understand Jesus' compassion in this place. This is a widow, and in this life and time, a widow who has no husband, right, who has no son now, uh, has no man of the house to be able to do the, the, the responsibilities that are most certainly necessary in this ancient world, leaves her in a very vulnerable place. And so she's reeling, not just because she lost her son, though that is enough, right? That is enough to pull out any compassion that Jesus might have, and it would for us too. But Jesus sees even deeper than that and realizes, wait, this isn't just a problem uh, that this woman has because she's lost a son. She very well is now on uh, her own. Uh, she's quite vulnerable uh, and is going to have some real problems coming forward. And so he sees her and he says, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the beer, the, uh, um, the casket basically that the, that the boy was laid on. And the bearers stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And he uses that power that's within him. The author of life brings life back to a dead body. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us indeed, and then there's this line, God has visited his people. Emmanuel, God with us, right? In this passage, God has visited his people in the form of well, none other than Jesus Christ himself, the author of life. And it concludes that the report spreads about him throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, I chose this story, but the, the truth is I could have chosen a number of other stories that sit in our Gospels of, of Jesus doing all kinds of miracles. He, miracles of abundance, like, uh, like taking you know, uh, a few fish and some, a couple loaves of bread and, and feeding thousands of people with it, right? Taking what is little and, and multiplying it 
in an abundant way that is not all that different from the way the earth works. Well, I mean, it's actually quite different, but it's, it's also not, right? You take a few seeds and, and you give enough time, this is the real difference, uh, and suddenly it's multiplied by thousands, right? Well, Jesus does it momentarily. Or we could have pointed to some healing stories in which somebody is literally on their deathbed and not quite dead yet, and Jesus infuses life back into them. And there are other stories of where there is somebody who dies and Jesus raises them from the dead. Perhaps you're thinking of of Lazarus here. And then there's this one other thing that we could point to, perhaps the most important of all, that when Jesus himself dies, he is resurrected, right? And God resurrects him from the dead. And we see in this moment that the author of life is far more powerful than that other thing called death. And in that moment, the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of death, it's clear which one is ultimately more powerful. And we are encouraged to choose life. Just as we were encouraged to throughout all of Scripture. Now, there's a show called Ted Lasso, and it's a show about soccer. I know, I know. Uh, Every other nation in this world calls it football, however, uh, which is important for what I'm about to say. There's one of the characters in it. His name is Danny Rojas, and his catchphrase, does anyone know it? Football is life, right? Football is life. Uh, This is what he says over and over again. Uh, This guy is just filled with life himself. He's always got a smile on his face. He's energetic. He runs into every room and he runs out of every scene and he's just constantly go, right? I mean, he is the epitome of life, right? He's just filled with it. Uh, And and so his catchphrase is appropriate. Uh, If you want to whittle down this sermon into three words, it would be, well, Jesus is life, right? Jesus is life, But the question remaining is, that's great, Eric, but what does that mean for me? And good news, I I brought you a few answers here. Uh, If Jesus is life, if Jesus is life, then abundant life is waiting for you now. Not in some far-off future, though definitely that too, but, but like right now. And so I want you to pause a second, ask yourself, am I living my life? Is my life filled with life? Or am I backing away? Am I making myself smaller? Am I showing up for part of my life, but not all of my life? I told you a story about a guy named Brendan Bichard a a couple weeks ago in which uh, at age 20 or so, he, he gets into a car accident, almost dies, and, and it's this revelation to him. And he wakes up every day saying, and, and ends every day asking a few questions, one of which is, did I live today, right? And it's a good question. Like, did I live today? And the answer that Jesus is offering is, yes, through my power, I am infusing life into you if you just reach out and take my hand. Now, to answer that question, did I live today, the world is, is at the ready to offer us lots of ways in which we could uh, understand this, right? 
Uh, and so like YOLO, uh, uh, boomers, that means uh, <laughs> you only live once. Um, uh, probably not the best uh, way, way to go through life, but um, you know, this is what the world is offering us these days. Uh, choose your dream or chase your dreams, uh, live on the edge, break the mold, march to the beat of your own drum, uh, go big or go home. The world is ready to give us these really nice catchphrases and you can take them or leave them. There is one that I kind of like, though. Um, it needs a little explaining. It, it connects to a song that I like, Live Your Best Life. It, the song is by a guy named Ben Rector, uh, and we, we, we've probably played it a few too many times in my house, so that as I was kind of preparing for this sermon, um, the song kept repeating in my head. I think his lyrics are actually pretty good, uh, and he encourages us toward more simple things in terms of you know, not chasing fame and not chase, chasing fortune, but, but recognizing the, the deep enduring value of a good marriage uh, and a good home life, right? Um, and then there's a line that, from, from the song that keeps coming back to me, um, and it says, I'm learning how to eat the fruit that is in season. Right? I'm learning how to eat the fruit that is in season. Here's what I think he's saying in this, and, and it's to say... Um, it, it's the daily bread prayer that, we're, uh, that I've encouraged you to pray, and, and it's certainly one I've taken to heart. And that is, I, I, can't, I can't eat the bread of tomorrow, right? And I can't even eat the bread of yesterday. And I can't worry about uh, the problems of tomorrow, because frankly, today's worries have enough worry of their own. And it's probably time for me to put the worries of my past behind me, but today's bread, well, that's something, that's something I can handle, right? Or when, I, when he says, I'm learning to eat the fruit that is in season, it's to say that the seasons will change, and, and the fruit that's available today is a blessing from God, and it's good enough, and it's what I need right now, and the seasons will change, and maybe we head into winter, and the fruit might not look like you want it to. But there's still fruit there. And if we have eyes to see it, we can recognize that it too is good. And then if you wait long enough, the summer rolls back around. And we start to see the watermelon again. And we start to see more tomatoes. And we start to see the fruit that really uh, just comes to life. So I'd say this, <clears throat> abundant life is waiting for you. When Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think he meant it. I came, for what reason, Jesus, did you come? I came that you might have life, and not just life, but abundant life. The second thing, abundant life, um, <laughs> stick with me here, abundant life includes partying, okay, um, and, and the Bible is filled with parties, it turns out. Uh, John 2, we all know this one, you probably saw this one coming, uh, Jesus does his first miracle where? He's at a wedding in Cana, and there's lots of partying happening. Apparently, there's uh, uh, 
well, the wine was flowing and then it stops. And then his, his mother comes and says, we've got a problem, Jesus. And somehow she knows, Jesus, you can do something about this. And so Jesus does. And if just to do the math for you, uh, he creates like 600 to 900 bottles of wine. Uh, that's the, the equivalent, which is a lot. That's, uh, that's quite the party. But that's not the only place. In Matthew 11, it turns out that Jesus uh, is in a spat with his uh, uh, Pharisee rivals, and he's, he's critiquing them, and he says, listen, I'll just read it, uh, Matthew 11:18. John came, right, John the Baptist, when John came, he wasn't eating, and he wasn't drinking, and they, they claim, well, John, you've got a demon, right? That's your problem. And then he goes on, and he says, well, the Son of Man, Jesus, uh, well, he came eating and drinking, basically having a great time and, and enjoying companionship and, and getting to know people. And then what's their claim? Well, they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, as Jesus goes about his uh, teaching and preaching ministry, he's routinely telling stories about banquets and parties and feasts. He's attending parties often. He finds himself uh, in the house of a Pharisee. Pharisees tend, uh, like, and I'm sure those were probably stuffier parties. And then he also finds himself uh, in the house of like a tax collector. And those are probably like uh, a little more lively parties. And, and then he's constantly talking about like the banquet feast that is to come. And in fact, the word feast appears 43 times in the Gospels alone. Feasting is a huge part of what Jesus is interested in. So what does it mean for us? <laughs> Am I telling you to go party? And the answer is kinda, right? Now again, the world is going to tell you what that looks like. And here I'm talking to you all. Uh, well, maybe everybody. Let's talk to everybody. Because it's, yeah. There is a Christian vision for what good partying can look like. We are intended to enjoy this life, right? We are intended to be filled with life as we walk through life. That's kind of the premise of this whole sermon, in fact. But we must do so in a way that is still God-honoring. We, in fact, as a church, we have what's called a, a fellowship ministry, which has, the, has to be the, the churchiest way to describe it, like a party ministry. Right? It's, it's like a, a gathering of people together. This is what the fellowship does. And in fact, Randy, if, if you were to, to rename that ministry, the party ministry, you'd probably get a few more people uh, joining the ranks. Uh, just a thought. Oh, you can take it or leave it. Um, and then I'd say, tonight... This very night, what are we going to do? We're going to come together to have fun, to enjoy one another's presence, to laugh and to sing, to eat, and to even drink just in the way that Baptists do. Uh, <laughs> and why? I think abundant life is abundant only when we share it with other people. Jesus knew this very well. 
He gathered people together routinely. This is part of what he, he did. He was constantly surrounded by people. In fact, it became such a problem that he would often try to get away because he was always uh, around others. He was like a magnet. People just drew, were drawn to him. <clears throat> this is probably an opportunity to say something I've been thinking about for a while. And uh, it's, again, uh, tossing ideas out there. You guys can latch on to what you need to. Uh, when I was a kid, um, we, we would go to church, and then on the good days my parents would talk to somebody else's parents and they would say, oh, let's go to the original pancake house. <laughs> uh, or, oh, we should, uh, we should meet up at this restaurant. And, and then we'd go out and I would talk to my friends and they would talk to, my parents would talk to their friends and it'd be this nice thing. So one of the things I've started noticing around here, um, and in part, I think, because of the pandemic, uh, is people will linger for a long time in fact, I, I usually have to start flicking lights and saying things like, I, I have a family to go home to. No. Um, and, and it's great, actually. I really want to encourage that, too. Um, but the other option is to, to just point to another couple or another family and say, hey, we should go to District Taco. Uh, or uh, we should you know, uh, go to somebody's home. Or we, we, should, uh, we should just go get lunch, right? And to, to linger a little bit and to gather, to party, if you want to call it partying. The point being, abundant life involves gathering together, enjoying one another's company, and laughing. All right, number three, these last two here won't take too long, actually. If Jesus is the author of life, <clears throat> if Jesus is life, right, and he's the author of new life, resurrection, then what this means for us is that there is always hope. Today's the hope candle, and uh, our Sunday school, adult Sunday school, and I think youth Sunday school too, talked about hope. And this is an important piece of what Jesus offers to us. That not even death is really the end. That your story, whatever is happening in your life right now, is not over yet. And please hear me, because I think there's somebody, I know there's someone in here, that needs to hear this part of the message loud and clear. The valley of the shadow of death you're in right now is not where the story ends. It will not always be this way. Because the author of life is able to bring new life. And so as you walk through your valley, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus, to follow him. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's what the psalmist says. And Jesus, the good shepherd, will guide you to safer pastures, to a land flowing, life, milk and honey, and he will lead you to, as the psalmist concludes Psalm 23, he will lead you to a party, a banquet, to a table in the presence of the Lord, where there is love, 
and where there's laughter and there's delight and there's rest and there's peace. God wants this for you in this life and in the life to come because he created us to live abundant lives. And when we do, when we live into the fullness of what life can and should be, we fulfill God's desires for all creation and bring glory and honor and joy and satisfaction to our Heavenly Father. Lastly, if Jesus is the author of life, then if we are to truly live, we must, must, must connect ourselves to the life source. A number of weeks ago, I used the analogy of the blower that sits in my garage, and if you don't plug the battery in, it's just not going to work, right? Every day, we've got to plug that battery in. We've got to connect ourselves to the source. We've got to study the person of Jesus and read about him in the Word. We've got to follow Jesus, living a life transformed by his image. And we've got to commune with Jesus, feast and party with Jesus, just simply spend time with Jesus. And I'll give you my favorite way to do this is in my time of meditation where I, I kind of I, I settle myself in, I take maybe five to ten minutes to just quiet myself. And I imagine Jesus in the room with me. And I just ask him, Jesus, what do you want to say? What would you speak into my life right now? What is it you're trying to do in this day for me? I began by saying that if we want to know the heart and character of God, we must look to Jesus. I believe this. What Jesus teaches us about God is that he has designed us for life. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. So if your image of God is stuffy, if it lacks joy, or if God is a taskmaster or somebody who is up there with all the rules and the regulations and is, is sucking the fun out of life, you've got God all wrong. God is that father of the prodigal son, if you know the story, who is filled with joy and excitement when he sees his son coming home. He's so excited that he, he runs to him and he embraces him. He doesn't wait for that child to come home. He runs to meet him, and he loves him. And he brings him back into the house. And what does he do? He throws a party. <laughs> and then when that other brother gets upset, do you remember what the father says? He says, listen, don't get upset. You had a brother who was dead, and now he's alive. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the author of life, the giver of life, the source of our life. And God, today, this first day of Advent, 
as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus into this world, let us remind ourselves of where we can find life in this world. First and foremost, it is in you. May we seek you out with all of our being. May we find true life in our relationship with you, the source of all life. And God, as we do, we will be prepared to speak life to a world that desperately needs it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, friends, let's stand together and we'll sing one final hymn, Emmanuel. Thank <clears throat> you.